Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D related. Technology trends, challenges customers face, business issues, and the opportunities around software development for the engineering, manufacturing, and AEC industries. We also discuss the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout the product's life cycle. Here on Beyond 3D, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again to the, our Beyond 3D podcast. This month, we have the opportunity to interview Antonio Carvalho, and he's our VP of Engineering here at TechSoft 3D. We're going to be talking about what makes engineers happy and how to keep them engaged. So, Antonio, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. It's it's a pleasure to be here chatting about like a very passionate topic of mine, which is what keeps engineers happy. You know, as part of an organization, the people that work for you are the most important asset that you have and keeping them happy is what is necessary to to be most successful within a company. And specifically, my domain is engineers and engineers can be difficult to keep happy. So definitely a lot of passion behind this from my end. Excellent. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with you, you're somewhat new to TechSoft, maybe you could just introduce yourself and kind of where, you, where you're where you coming from. Maybe also talk a little bit about the TechSoft and, and what your what your role here as VP of, of engineering is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you said, uh, we'll be at TechSoft for three years uh, in May. That will be my third anniversary. I previously came from a company which was developing 3D metrology software. And so, and we were actually partners of TechSoft. So I, I was exposed to the TechSoft technology for around 12 to 13 years before joining TechSoft. So it was a company that I, I knew. And in my previous job, I had you know been through various levels of, uh, I was there for 20, 22 years, starting as a developer, as an engineering manager, I had roles as a product manager, as a product owner, back to engineering manager and director. So I've had several roles related to software engineering within within that company. Also, similarly to what we do at TechSoft, the uh, that experience was in developing software applications for industrial markets. So our customers again were engineers. Uh, so very focused on engineering. Very similarly to what we do here at TechSoft. Here at TechSoft, as you said, my role is VP of Engineering. We currently, our organization fully staffs will be more than sixty people, sixty engineers. Those engineers having different roles. We have developers. We also have QA and specific engineers, specific uh, specifically. Um, with focus on quality, which we call software developers and tests. So even though these are quality engineers, they're still software developers, uh, interestingly. And we also have uh, engineers which are more focused on our engineering efficiency, DevOps responsibilities. Our engineering is also uh, split across different geographies and time zones. So we have engineers from the, the West Coast of the U.S. in Berkeley, in Bend, where our big offices are. And we have engineers on the East Coast as well. We have, you know, engineers in Scotland. 
but then the bulk of our engineering is in Lyon. Uh, and also we have some engineers in the south of France and Norway. So very good distribution. We have people all along the globe uh, working on the various products, exciting products that we deliver. Yeah, and I think that that poses some unique problems, you know, having intercontinental teams. And it kind of mm -hmm. gives people an idea of Techsoft is a relatively small software company you know, small to medium. So you said 60 engineers, but Correct. organizationally, we're about 120 people, I believe now. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gives you an idea of some of the challenges, especially when, when you have teams so spread out along time zones. Maybe many of our listeners, so we supply technology to other software companies in the form of toolkits. Many of the companies that we're partnering with and providing technology to are probably suffering from many of the same challenges that we do in terms of quality assurance and, and en engagement and retention. Right now we're going through the great resignation and those are real challenges. So how do we create an environment for our employees, our engineers in which they can really thrive? And so what, what would you say, Antonio, some of the, the key things we're trying to do here at Techsoft that is creating that type of environment? Well, I would, I would really start off by saying something that it supersedes me and, you know, is, is above my pay grade and even started much before I joined. Uh, and that is with the company culture. Techsoft is a phenomenally great place to work. And people who, who are listening who are from Techsoft certainly have heard this before. And it could sound like, a, you know, just a, a cool saying and, and could be, you know, composing of hollow words. But the reality is that at Techsoft, People really do believe in that. And, and that's something that I use this in often cases as an example of, of what I latch onto as an example of what is a phenomenally great place to work is anybody in this company can talk to anybody and nobody gets offended. I have my direct reports talking to my boss and that's not a big issue. You know, everybody has is able to access our CEO and have a good conversation uh, with our CEO. That is something that is different from most of the companies that that we that we often encounter out there in the market. And as you say, 120 people isn't a lot of people, but it is a moderately sized company in which most in most cases you would already have a structure in place which would block people from talking to each other. That's something that doesn't exist at TechSoft. A very open culture culture that cares about the people and you know when you're thinking about you know is this the right place to be that definitely plays a big factor and we know that there's a lot of people that that stay uh, at TechSoft because of that. We see that we have very low turnover even as we are going through this great resignation. Yeah I feel like that type of communication that that authentic communication is important and and pretty regularly engineers are critical thinkers and have good questions, ask tough questions, and and regularly mm -hmm. in our all hands meetings, we we see people going toe to toe with senior management or our CEO, and it's it's welcome, right? Because it's making us better. Absolutely, asking yeah. those tough questions and trying to answer them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we when we then think about a second aspect of what keeps people here, what attracts our engineers to our company. I mean, we cannot hide it. The, the technology that we work with, everything related to three D is exciting to, to engineers. You know, not a lot of people have the opportunity to work in 3D. Some have the passion for it. And so there's 
There are companies out there that do it. TechSoft not only is, is exciting in the fact that we work in th with 3D, but we also work with 3D in a very specific context, which is this industrial engineering software context. Like it's not gaming, it's not consumer 3D. In fact, if you look at the profile of somebody who wants to do gaming, it's not the typical candidate that that we that comes knocking on TechSoft's door to, to work. Like it was one of the things for me that was surprising when trying to hire engineers, for example, in 3D visualization, is how few people would come from the gaming industry and look and look us up. The people who do want to do, do the people who have expertise or knowledge in CAD, these engineering software companies certainly look for us. And as soon as we show up, they are certainly um, interested in, in joining TechSoft. So the technology, you know, developing 3D viewers, native viewers, web viewers, you know, what we do in Coops Exchange is quite exceptional. The fact that we take CAD files, which are, you know, binary format and, you know, where, you know, the companies that develop these CAD modelers want to hide what's inside them and we're able to look inside and and reverse engineer and find the data that's hidden in, in, in the, the small, you know, little nooks and crannies. That's exciting. I mean, it, it does motivate engineers to want to come and work for a company like us. And we're also, you know, with the CAE side of the business that, that is coming to us from the Citron products and the VKI, all of that, uh, you know, the complexity of collecting large amounts of simulation data and having those available in files and how to display that and, and make it accessible and have it even you know, the whole simulation pipeline, there's a lot of very exciting technology. There's a lot of very exciting things that we do, which makes it appealing to engineers, especially, like I said, you have to want this in, you know, this engineering side of software, develop things for other engineers, not necessarily for end users or consumer market. Would you say like to a little extent, there's, there might even be a bit of a hacker ethos in some of our teams <laughs> because of, I mean, they're getting down in, they're looking at hex decimal editors sometimes, right? Yeah, to, to, absolutely. To solve these these challenging problems where there's no like known solution, right? So absolutely, a lot of the, lot of the things they're trying to do are they're, it's it's tough, and it seems like engineers rise to those occasions, like where there's unsolvable or complicated problems that they have to lean into, and it's that struggle, it's that journey where you're trying to tune performance or you're trying to deal with massive amounts of data elegantly, like those problems are very real and very satisfying to push through and solve. Absolutely. And, and in many cases, you know, what's funny is that sometimes you'll, you'll have engineers roll their eyes when you're trying to ask them to do something which seems impossible. But that's exactly what they thrive on. And in a lot of cases, it's really that, you know, challenging yourself to do something that you, you know, most people would think is not even possible is really exciting. And that's where most of the, most of the satisfaction in what we do comes from. You know, we were talking about people and we were talking about how important people are. I often find that sometimes we underappreciate our engineers or we don't understand exactly how much potential is in them. Often we, we find engineers that come get to a point in which their career in some contexts are, are being told what they need to do. They're pretty much said, okay, here's a specification, just go out and code this. I mean, that's an absolute waste of your resources because engineers are typically the most ingenious minds that you have within a company. You know, people that you say, here's a very difficult problem. I have no idea how we're going to solve this. Like, help me out. And they will come with all sorts of 
you know, crazy solutions. Some of them are good, some of them not so much, but they will definitely, once they're put presented with the problem, it's really surprising how ingenious they can be. You know, going back to my previous experience, like I told you, I, I have been a, I have been a product manager before. I have been a product owner. I think my one of the biggest aha moments I had as a product manager was realizing that I spent a lot of time trying to come with solutions that I thought were awesome. Like I thought this is the way to solve this particular problem. And it took a, a great deal of humility and, and self-awareness for me to understand that, you know what? No, these guys can, can, you know, they'll blow me out of the water if I give them the chance to really say, here's the problem. Here are the constraints. How can it, how, you know, what is the best way to solve this? And it's when you allow yourself to be put in, into that position that you really see, you know, you have these engineers come, come through, like they really shine. And that's when you're getting the most out of them because that's when they're the most motivated. That's when they're delivering the best that they can. That's where the best quality work comes from. Yeah. So there's a real match between their skill set and yep. and their proficiency and the tasks you give them. It you know, it reminds me of of a psychologist who wrote this book on flow, Mihai Chiksen Mihai, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. where it, there's kind of this relationship between skills and the effort, the challenge of the problem. And as you always kind of want to be on this line where they're matched, because if you're below it, that means you're being un, underutilized and not being challenged and, and you're not engaged. And if you're above it, that means that you're being challenged too much and it's frustrating. But if you're able to find that sweet spot where there's this great match, where it's still challenging, but, but at the same time, you have the ability to accomplish this, that's really where you get this satisfaction and you get a tremendous amount of workout and you kind of get in this flow state where just things are, are really just working for you and, and encoders can, that can happen to them as well. So is there anything that, that you're doing to try to match these, you know, there's specific instances you can think of maybe an antidotal story where this, this was really important or, or actually the alternative was not a good match and had to back off and kind of reassess what we're doing. You know, is there anything at TechSoft that we're trying to match? Like are within your organization, are you trying to match yeah. skills? Like how are you, how are you doing that? How are you finding maybe even star engineers and, and making sure that they're living up to their potential? Well, I guess one of the things that we are doing specifically in engineering, and it is a way um, it is with the intention of, of really making our, our, our key and, and most, most impactful engineers uh, shine the most is the introduction of the engineering advisory board. This is something that we're, we're just kicking off. We're still learning a little bit about what this, what's going to come and what this group is going to transform itself into. But it is exact, you know, it is one example of what you're describing in that we want to allow engineers to have a bigger voice in terms of where we're going with the technology, where the product is going, the problems that it's intended to solve. That's clearly something that we want our product strategy or product management group to, to lead the way. They have to be looking at the business. They have to see where we're going to get return on our investment. But in itself, the product needs, it's competitive today, you know, you know, fortunately, or through very, can't say fortunately, because it came from a lot of hard work. Um, our products compete very well. They're, they're, they're pretty much the, the standard in the market for what they do. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't guarantee that they will be the standard in three years. And that doesn't mean they will be the standard in five years. And that 
isn't just from a competitive standpoint of the features that are in the product. It is also related to you know, the technology that we use and how are we going about solving our problems. The idea of the engineering advisory board is to allow these engineers that want to think about those things to come together and start to define you know, where should we be going from a technological standpoint. And some of this can be brand new. Some of this can be, we don't know, or here, here's a big challenge, or here's, here's something that uh, is changing in our, our environment and we need to take into account. Like, for example, something that just came up recently is the architectures of the graphics cards. I mean, even, even the graphics card driver, the, the principles in which they, they work are slightly changing. When you look at these new generation, the metals, the DirectX 12s, and okay, how do we now maximize the, the, the performance of our products, our graphics products, knowing in, in fact that, okay, there is a new architecture and the new way of going about it. And how do we think about that transition? This is one way in which we, we allow, uh, you know, we give that opportunity to some engineers. Now, going back to your question, how do we keep it so that these engineers are in that sweet spot hugging this line that you're you're talking about in a lot of cases it also comes from you know us having an interchange between these engineers so for example in this engineering advisory board we do have people and again using graphics as an as an example people who develop graphics in different groups uh, we have people in the cae group who have developed graphics have people in berkeley and getting these people together and actually thinking about this and sharing their experiences and understanding okay Here's some opportunities that we have. Here are some trends that are coming and, and being aware of that. That then, that doesn't make them experts, but that certainly identifies the areas in which they need to develop and they need to learn in order to be able to hug that curve. So we can't just throw them into the deep end. That's, that's not something that, uh, like you said, it will bring overwhelm to engineers, but we do want to at least identify so that we can start to have the conversations going, get, getting the training going and the learning. Yeah, no, that's... That's great. And, and we're excited to see what that group comes up with as well. Mm -hmm. So kind of like circling back to this, how do we continue to create an environment for engineers in which they can thrive? What other things do you see just being really critical and, and a must have for organizations these days allows them to do the, the, the important work? You know, I'll, I'll even take that opportunity, that question, talk a little bit about the transformation that's going within TechSoft and and how we're, we're navigating that transformation to get us into a good spot. Similarly, I'm sure I'm gonna to talk to a lot of engineers who at some point in their life have, have gone through this. People who have been around the, the, the business like I have for quite some years, probably went through a phase in which all of the development was driven by engineers. Engineers you know, decided what the product was gonna have and the capabilities and how they would be implemented. And at some point, you know, as, as businesses started to become more successful, a lot of companies started realizing, okay, we don't want to just be engineering driven in terms of our product development. We want to be looking at the market and try to understand what are, where should our investments go and try to understand the profitability uh, of, of our investments within engineering and our product development. And as with many other companies, we went through this phase of adopting product management. So having people who are responsible for looking at business and guiding you know, the product uh, through its life cycle and what are the capabilities and what are the targets, uh, target markets that we want to go after. What that normally has is creates an impact on engineers who used to operate in a given way and used to run the show. Let's, let's sit, put it in those words. And it slightly changes where they should be having a big impact. That 
often creates a negative impact on our engineers, right? That puts our engineers in a position where they don't really understand what is their role. I'm just being told what to do. And in a lot of cases, and until you get this right, until you get that balance between what is product strategy, your product management, your product owners doing, and what is the responsibility of engineering, um, can put you sometimes in a position where product managers are over-specifying and pretty much the engineers end up being, you know, uh, somebody who just sits behind a keyboard writing code. With, with that transition, what needs to happen is for us to create the space for the engineers, for them to express their creativity. And again, I go back to what do engineers love doing? Engineers love solving hard problems. The mm -hmm. fact that they can choose the problem or not, okay, the fact that they can't choose a problem anymore takes away a bit of that. But if they're given a good old hard problem, you know, even though they may whine a, a little bit at the beginning, once they you know, roll up their sleeves and tackle it and achieve it, that certainly brings a lot of satisfaction. So it's this dynamic between product ownership and, and engineers that we try to find the sweet spot, which is, you know, have product managers who are able to produce and, and deliver, you know, a purpose for the engineers. Okay, where are we heading? What is our vision? What is our product supposed to mean on the market? Where is the position? Like, are we best in class? Are we you know, competitive, we want to be the cheap option there, you know, explain exactly to the engineers what it is that that, exactly, that we wanted to want to position our product. The second then is to allow engineers to understand where do they provide an impact. They need to feel that what they do matters. If they're just doing something that that's, you know, a small nook that ends up in the product and nobody has visibility, or if you never get feedback of how that thing is being used, what you worked on, people eventually realize, okay, all that I'm doing here is producing code. It gets thrown into something. And then, you know, we have other people taking all the glory. Oh, we released this, we released that. And it's all becomes just a marketing gimmick at the end. Engineers don't get a lot of satisfaction from that. What they, what they do get satisfaction is by, you know, hearing a customer saying, oh man, I really appreciated this feature because they're really took a lot of pain off of me, or I used to have to write tons of code to do exactly this, and now it's in the product. So this, you know, them understanding the impact that they have is really important. And then the third part is the autonomy. Like I said, if you come to an engineer and say, here's something that I want you to implement, and the solution is already there, they're just coding it. I mean, they don't feel like they have any say. They're just, you know, they're really following orders. What's much more interesting is to say, here's a problem. Let's work out how, how we can solve this problem and give the engineer the autonomy to say, hey, we could do this or we could do that. Here's an option or even ask questions. In a lot of cases, when something that is fundamental when you use agile technologies, methodologies like we do, is to say the dialogue is the important thing. We come with the problem and then the engineers say, oh, do you mean this or do you mean that? Like, and, and from that, the, the product manager, the product owner gives a little bit more detail. And through that conversation, you start to build what the solution could look like. That experience for developers is absolutely satisfying, right? And so you're able to replace what used to be before I picked the problems, I, I pick whatever I do to say, okay, I don't pick the problems, but I definitely own the solution space, absolutely. And this is something that works particularly well. Uh, I've seen it work before in, in the company that I was at before. Right now, we're still going through this transformation of really allowing that space that, that is necessary for this autonomy to come through. And this whole purpose and impact is something that we're still working on. So we talked about what helps people thrive 
finding challenging problems, that matching skills with, with the challenge, autonomy and finding solutions, that dialogue, right? So those are some big ones. There's also some painful things, you know, with, with any role, with any job, there's some painful things, right? And so what are some of those that we, we see are being eliminated? You know, I'm thinking about continuous development. Like, why is that so, why is that more important now than, than ever for, for us and, and for the industry? It's quite interesting. There's a, there's a great book that I, I kind of use as a, as a reference of mine, which is called Accelerate. And, and it really talks about what makes uh, companies successful and, and talks also about the environment uh, in which allows uh, people that are related to software, uh, IT companies in general thrive. And here, one of the aspects that they talk about, there, there's several metrics that they measure, but one of them key metrics is related to the frequency in which you release software. And there's a very strong correlation between successful software companies and the release uh, and their release cycle. And traditionally, and even in our industry, you would be on a yearly cyclical release or, you know, sometimes you'd be bold and have it quarterly. Some companies are starting to go to monthly. That was, for example, the, my previous experience, we were in kind of a, a monthly cadence. But what they say is like, no, you, you should be releasing daily, like, and even hourly. I'm sure all of us have used applications which are constantly asking to, to be updated. And it, it's really interesting because where, where does the big benefit of this continuous deployment really come from? It comes from the fact that it allows our code to be close as, you know, to be brought as close as possible to the end user, the consumer of our code. In other words, I can introduce a small incremental change to our code. And if I know that 10 minutes later, that code is actually being run by somebody and a final end user, if I broke something, I'm going to know very quickly, right? It, and, and I'm going to know by the end user, not just my QA person, right? And the huge benefit that you can get from, some, from something like that is you get real live feedback, right? And so it, it's really tied to this idea of a, 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 conti you know, a continuous feedback loop. You make a change, you put it out there, you make a small change, you put it out there, you get the feedback. Um, and so, of course, the key piece of that is that you then have telemetry in your product. So when your product is being run by your end users, you get information from that and you adjust very quickly in the case of something going wrong. Now, most people, when they hear about this thing, okay, that's going to be a disaster because you're constantly going to be breaking it. You know, that's inevitably going to be true. And, you know, you have to develop your own safety net internally to make sure that, you know, once you promote something and put it in the hands of, of your end user, that it's going to be, have some, you know, uh, some uh, guarantee that it's, it's going to at least not blow up in your face. And so, it does, of course, require some internal uh, internal changes for you to, to have and build all these safety nets. It has become pretty clear that companies that are able to do these more frequent deployments and have these short feedback loops are successful and create an environment in which the engineers feel good about their work. Of course, we develop, as you mentioned, toolkits and toolkits that are used by engineers. Uh, this presents itself with a very big challenge. We have a lot of partners of ours who are very reluctant to take updates because you know they they know the product uh, every time they take an update they have to do a lot of testing and make sure that that everything is working well so we naturally have an environment in which um in which our, our partners don't want to update more frequently they want something that's very stable we're talking engineering software so that in itself presents a challenge on us 
but we're also a toolkit. So we're still very far from the end user, right? Uh, the, the person that's going to use our technology is one level of indirection away because our partners take it, they integrate it into their product. And so, and then they, they put their product in their, their customer's hands. And there's this level of indirection, which makes it very difficult. So one of the challenging things that keeps me awake at night is, okay, I want our engineers to be able to benefit from, you know, things like continuous deployment, but how do I do it now that, you know, we're a toolkit provider? When there's a will, there's a way, you know, there, there's a, that's certainly something that we want to, we'll continue to explore. There's a long way for us to go, I know, but being able to automate that and take burdens of building and, and maintaining builds off the engineers can go a long way. And, and as well, you know, having a automated QA, you know, all of those things mm -hmm. really help ease the pain and increase the satisfaction. Uh, anything else that uh, we haven't touched on that, that you'd love our listeners to be aware of or like to share with them? One other aspect that, uh, that we, you know, at TechSoft, uh, considering where we're at and as a company that is, is constantly growing, we've gone, gone through some acquisitions and, and there are some plans of, of continuing acquisitions in the futures. What does that actually represent to, to the engineers uh, in our company? I, you know, I, I wasn't around, but our company started with you know, a few engineers camping out in Berkeley and working together. And then we grew that team and then we acquired a company in France. I had a different set of technologies, so we started. And as you grow, there is a kind of natural fear that you become less relevant as an engineer. It used to be you, you ran the show and then there's product management and now there's more engineers and there's more products. That's something that sometimes it, it can be scary for engineers, right? But on the other hand, one thing that I find is, is very exciting is the new career opportunities that comes from that. We at TechSoft try to keep as lean of an engineering and an organization as we can. We, we, we try to avoid having a lot of layers of management. So with growth, we try not to introduce levels of management. But we do also want feel that our engineers should seek an opportunity for them in their career path to hey, work on other products, uh, work on different technologies, because as we introduce different technologies and as we assimilate like new domains like CAE, who's to say that an engineer who was working on Hoops Exchange may not be excited about, uh, you know, working on Citron, you know, Citron desktop. And there are, where it really becomes even more exciting is that TechSoft has been very careful about picking adjacent technologies and, you know, being very diverse in, in terms of the technology. So in a lot of cases, it may not be exactly what people are doing, but the fields are still related in which, you know, engineers can still latch onto that and be able to, to, you know, migrate to a different product. And of the good things that everybody has realized that has come from COVID is that we have more and more people working remotely or in a hybrid configuration. So you don't even need to be at the same office anymore. You can pretty much be working as a, as a remote employee for a new team, and it's still a TechSoft colleague. So these are things that are exciting and definitely present themselves as an opportunity, not as something that we should fear. Yeah, definitely some exciting things ahead for the industry too. And in absolutely yeah. more remote first type work environment. Now, speaking of, of opportunities, I believe we still do have several and continue to hire more engineers. So if people are interested, mm -hmm. this isn't a whole pitch for TechSoft, but if you are a developer and interested in, in working for us, please go to techsoft3d.com and, and check out our careers page. We would love to have a conversation with you, I'm sure. 
I think we we just hired our our first engineer in Guadeloupe, so it really is a international <laughs> team. Glad to have um, all the new the new hires on board. Antonio, where can people get a hold of you to continue this conversation? What's a what's a good way to get in touch with you? Well, I mean, generally email is the best, so you can always contact me on antonio.caravallo. That's C-A-R-V-A-L-H-O at techsoft3d.com. I mean, you can also look me up on LinkedIn. My profile is uh, antonio.jd.carvalho on LinkedIn. So it should be normally pretty easy to find me at TechSoft. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for the conversation today, being with us. We really appreciate you sharing some of your experience and some of your stories as well. We're, We're excited to see where the whole engineering industry um, development and specifically 3D engineering industry go and are happy to be part of that and fueling innovation. So thanks so much, Antonio, for your time today. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by TechSoft 3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit www techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.